Hello, everyone. It's so good to be with you. I am excited that we are wrapping up week four of our present series. Now, today we're going to be focusing on this idea of producing fruit through our work. Okay, now we've been exploring in this series all the different ways that we can create garden experiences in a broken world. It's kind of taking us back to this mindset that was formed in the Garden of Eden before sin or brokenness had entered into our world. Now we're going to begin our time together a little bit differently. We're going to create a garden moment together right now. So if you would, close your eyes, settle into your chair, and I want you to begin to recognize your breath. Maybe choose to take a big, long inhale. And slowly release it with a prolonged exhale. As you settle into that, imagine with me that God is sitting right next to you. He's looking at you and he has a ton of affection towards you. There's a big smile on his face. And he whispers to you. What do you imagine? He whispers. Father, we just thank you that at any moment in our lives, we can create space for your presence. As we dive into this topic of work, would you open our hearts? Would you allow us to see things that can influence us and bring your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven? In Jesus' name, amen. Moments like that, what we just experienced together, are so beautiful. But I mean, if we're being honest, right? That's not what life is typically like for most of us, right? Okay? I'm a pastor, and I get those moments every once in a while, but that's not always how it is, okay? I'm a father. I've got two young kids, and I just want to give you a glimpse into how it's not always that way in my life, okay? And so one of the things we like to do as a family is we like to run around. We like to go visit people, do fun activities on the weekends. And uh, not too long ago, my family and I, we were out, and we were having a blast, and we were on our way home, and it was kind of already getting a little bit later, but we decided to stop by my brother-in-law's house. My son and daughter wanted to see their cousins, and so we said, hey, yeah, sure, we'll go over there. We have a great relationship And because of that great relationship, we ended up staying longer than we should have. And so it was dark, it was time to go, and we got in the car, and everybody was pretty tired. We were all very hungry, and none of us wanted to be responsible for what was next or the family task. We were literally about to hit that dreaded hangry zone. You guys know what I'm talking about, where you're hungry and you're angry and the tears are about to fall down. And my loving wife, 
on the ride home with authority and conviction in her soul, turns to me from the passenger seat and says, I need you to make dinner when we get home. (laughs) Now, no bitterness, no resentment, no ill feelings or anything because I didn't want to be responsible. I said, yes, ma'am. And I took that task to the extent that I possibly could. And so I'm like, I'm a, I'm a chef by training. Like, I'll be fine. So I pull into the garage. We go inside. It's a little bit chaotic. And I look in the fridge. And guess what? There's not really much in the fridge. Uh, so I'm like, all right, this is going to be harder than I thought. I open up the pantry. Not much in the pantry. DoorDash. Okay, DoorDash is the win. Look at the budget for DoorDash. There's not much in there either. It's the end of the month. So... I had to do what I had to do, and I had to try to see if I could put something together and bring order out of the chaos. Well, I did the best I possibly could. Around 30 minutes later, we all sat down at the table. I apologized in advance and said, I am sorry if you don't like it, but it's all we got. And I don't know if it's the fact that we were all hungry, but to my surprise, they loved it. You know, they scarfed their food down, and all of a sudden, peace fell over our home. In that moment, I was filled with pride. I felt so good knowing that I was able to use some basic ingredients and bring joy, nourishment, and peace to my family. I wonder if you've ever had a moment like that in your life. Maybe for you, it was counseling a friend through a pretty difficult time. Maybe for you, it was coming up with a solution to a problem in your workplace. Maybe for you, it was getting that crying baby to actually settle down and go to sleep. I mean, if we're honest, that's a miracle in and of itself right there, right? Or maybe for you, it's creating an environment where people can develop meaningful relationships. But no matter your background, your stage of life, we can all relate to that idea of creating order out of chaos. In fact, that's what we were actually created to do. And so today, as we lean into our fourth principle of that garden lifestyle or the marks of a disciple, that that framework, we're going to be focusing on the out quadrant. The focus on other people and doing and producing fruit through our work. See, as humans, we were created to work, to manage, to build. We all know that feeling of accomplishment or a job well done. Have you ever stopped and thought, where does that feeling of accomplishment or joy, where does that come from? We believe that feeling actually comes from God himself. Now, we understand that at Echo, there's people who are on their journey of exploring faith. Maybe you don't even believe in God yet. Maybe you haven't made that connection and and think that's real. But what we believe and what we see in the first few pages of the Bible are some really strong principles that could be applied to any person's life, even if you haven't yet made that decision to follow Jesus. But from a human or a Christian perspective, we were created by God. And he created us and he involved us in the mix of everything that he had previously created. 
And he wanted us to take the things and enhance them and use them for the benefit of ourselves and for others. Essentially, what God did when he created us is he wanted us to take and take chaotic situations and bring order to them. It says it like this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and all the small animals that scurry along the ground. Which brings us to our very first point today, is God made us to be like him. So if God made us to be like him, it's probably an important thing for us to know some categories or some traits or some things about him so we can understand more of who we are. Well, we don't have enough time today or this year to spend talking about all of the characters of God, but one of them that we are going to lean into that's applicable for us today is that God is a creator. He creates things. It's literally the very first thing he does in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the beginning, God Let's try that again. In the beginning, God created. That's right. He created the heavens and the earth. So if God made us to be like him and God is a creator, you guys see where I'm going with this? We were made to create. So as I was putting this talk together, I was just curious, what does Google have to say about the word create? So I just looked up the definition and Create is to bring something into existence. And then there's a whole bunch of synonyms to generate, to produce, to design, to make, fabricate, manufacture, construct, bring into existence, originate, invent. It sounds a lot like work. So maybe it was all part of God's original plan for us to work. Well, if it was part of God's original plan, why does work suck so much sometimes? Like, why is it so difficult? Am I the only person? Like, raise your hand if you've ever had a hard day of work or school, okay? Trust me, if anybody gets it, my work involves all of you, okay? It is exhausting, all right? Tiresome. Oh, I just bang my head against the wall. Like, no, I'm just kidding. Or am I? No, I'm just, but in all seriousness, why does work have to be that way sometimes? Like, why does it have to be exhausting or frustrating? And I think it's all connected to our mindset about work. Okay, there's two different mindsets. There is the work that God created and is connected to his original design. And then there's work that has become tainted. And so we're going to explore both of these today, but let's focus in on what God's original design for work was always intended to be. And we see this first surface in the Garden of Eden when actually work hadn't yet started. So we see in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, it says, When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, neither the wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth. For the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth, and there was no people to cultivate the soil. I don't know if you ever do this, but when you're reading your Bible, 
You can gloss over a lot of details really fast, but when you stop and you read it with the intention of trying to understand, you get to a passage like that and you're like, okay, you created all of this stuff. Why? Like, why did you not let it grow until we got involved? And so if you have like a little notepad, this would be a great moment to go, okay, question mark. Why did God create some things to not flourish without human participation? Like, I don't know the answer, but apparently in this particular scenario, things hadn't grown because no one was working on it. And so if he created us to work, look at what he does in verse 15. He says, then the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So when God placed Adam in the garden, he was given this assignment to cultivate or to work, to take the resources around him and bring them to their full potential, to bring order out of chaos. Now, I don't know if you noticed it, but in those two verses, there was a word underlined. In the first verse, it was the word cultivate. and the second verse, it was the word work. Now, the Bible was not written in English. It was written in Hebrew and a couple other languages. And so that same word that we get cultivate and work is actually one Hebrew word called avoda. And avoda is unique where it has three specific meanings for that one word. The, the meanings are the word work, so common work to do things, to construct, to create. The second one is service, to work for the benefit of others, to do something in service of somebody. And the third is worship. So the word avoda means work, service, and worship, all wrapped up in one. This is an important detail for us because what we can see and what this suggests is that God's original design for work was that it would be worship to him. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, singing songs and playing the guitar, or the harp, like that is worship. But like, I'm trying to say writing code and building software can be worship. Serving people amazing food or coffee can be worship. Treating individuals with a variety of medical conditions can be worship. Students, I know you might be thinking, like, I don't even have a job yet. Like, does this apply to me? Like, yes. Writing that paper or studying for that final can be worship. Some of you, you might be in a stage of life where you're actually retired, or maybe you've chosen to stay home with your children, and so homeschooling your kids, or raising young ones, or caring for your elderly parents, or volunteering with an organization can be worship. Choosing to have integrity where everyone else doesn't can be worship. See, for Adam, he was placed in the garden, and he was told by God to make it come to life. Take what you see and do something special with it. Be fruitful, multiply, for the benefit of you and all others around you. Avoda, 
work, service, and worship. The late pastor Tim Keller, when speaking on the topic of work, he says it like this. Work is rearranging the raw material of a particular domain to draw out its potential for the flourishing of all. Another way that we could say this is to turning chaos into order for the good of others. So if we were going to break this down a little bit, okay, essentially what we're doing is we're taking raw materials, we're creating order, so almost anything we do in this life can be worship. I've got a few different examples here for you, okay? Let's think of this idea of the raw format of sound, okay? If I was to go to that drum kit and hit one of the cymbals or, or knock one of the toms or whatever, it would create a sound like this. That's its raw format. Now, if I like put a few of these raw formats together with some rhythm, if I had rhythm, okay, we would get music, right? So if you put this in the hands of somebody that's really skilled and talented, they create music for the benefit of all of us. Something like this. Yeah, right? Okay. A couple of you, 80s and 90s for your time. You got the groove, right? Okay, so we took the raw format into some sound, okay? We created order out of chaos. Okay, let's, let's say, like, maybe for you, you like to build things, okay? You're a builder, you work with your hands, okay? Like, this brick and this wood and these screws, like, if they're just laying around, they don't really add much benefit for everybody else. But in the hands of the right people with the right skills and the right mindset... They create beautiful buildings and homes and bridges so we can go to work, we can live and flourish and create community, we can travel and see beautiful things. They create order out of chaos. One of my favorite ways to do this is through the medium of food. I love to take raw materials like rice. I mean, rice in and of itself, you don't chew on rice, you don't see people walking around doing that, okay? But when you, when you cook up rice, you put a good sauce on it or something like that, you add a few other elements, something great happens. Like one of my favorites, personally, is when you take rice and you mix it with some seaweed. You guys see where I'm going with this? Okay. And then you get some fish. I mean, not goldfish. Okay. But like, I didn't want a sloppy fish up here. But like, when you mix rice, seaweed, and fish together, what do you get? Sushi, right? I mean, it's so... Oh, hey. I heard your stomach growling. Wow. That, well, that, that looks... That, hang, on, hang on. Sorry, guys. Hang on. Is one of these right here? Oh, this is really good. Okay. My sous chef was real proud of this. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, no, no. I'll give it here, okay? Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Oh, man. That's really good. Okay. Um, it's for the benefit of others, but right now it's just going to benefit me, Okay. <laughs> Whoever created that took raw materials, they created order for the benefit of me, <laughs> okay? Now, one more example, and this one blows my mind. Okay, living in this valley, I still don't understand how a bunch of zeros and ones and like somebody writing words or weird syntaxes or whatever 
in this black software, then creates all of these technologies that rule our lives, like cell phones and operating systems and apps to manage your money. Or they create websites that are wonderful. Like one website that you all should go check out today that will benefit your lives is echo.church slash groups. So you can sign up and be a part of community. Okay. You see what I did there? Gotcha. Um, But I hope that these examples, if anything, they break down some of the misconceptions. The reality is that any profession can be connected to moments that are holy that allow you to worship God through your work. This isn't reserved for people like me who work in a church. The reality is, is we must have more and more people in the marketplace that are willing to say, I am choosing to make the work that I do a form of worship. Personally, when I uh, used to work in tech, I was a salesperson at Google, and uh, I was on my journey of faith, and I started to become more and more devout in my following of Jesus, and so I committed that I was going to leverage the position that I was in to influence the people around me. So that meant when I would go on sales calls, I would choose to do what was best for the customer, even if it meant I wasn't going to get the sale. I would choose to focus on knowing my coworkers and speaking into their lives, encouraging them and propping them up for promotions. I would choose time to have lunch with them and to sit down and have conversations. And I'm going to be honest, I wasn't perfect at this, but I was trying. And as a result of me trying to be a light in my workplace, to show the glory of God through the way that I live, the integrity that I have, I began to have influence with people to be able to talk about faith with my customers, with my coworkers, my managers, and all the people around me. And part of what inspired me to do this was the Apostle Paul. He's one of the early followers of Jesus who helped start a bunch of churches. He wrote an encouragement to one of the churches. And this is what he says in verse 23 uh, of chapter 3 of Colossians. It says, work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Do everything you do for God instead of everybody else. So when we work to bring order out of chaos, we're not just being godly, we are being God-like. I'm not sure if this is freeing to some of you or maybe it's a complete paradigm shift for others, but I hope that you have a better understanding of how when we have the right mindset, we can connect our current work back to the things that matter to God. And I know you might be saying, like, I don't know if this is really going to work. Like, we're not back in the garden anymore, Stephen. Like, Avoda doesn't sound like it's going to work in my workplace. And yes, I understand that it must have been a lot easier in the garden. But the reality is, is we have records of so many people that came after sin or brokenness entered the world, and even those today that live out this Avoda lifestyle. But the reality is that our work becomes tainted because we've fallen into the enemy's trap around our work. If God created work and work is good and work is worship, what does the enemy want us to do? He wants to taint it. And the trap that so many of us fall in in our work is rather than having our work being about rearranging raw materials, drawing out the potential for the flourishing of others, if we're honest... Our work becomes all about us. What's in it for me? 
Is this going to match my needs or my wants? And then rather than focusing our attention on glorifying God or being an influence, we focus on everything that I'm going to get out of it. And this is the same trap that Adam and Eve fell into in the garden. The serpent came, and this is what he said. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat that fruit. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So for Adam and Eve, what they did is they saw by eating this fruit, I'm going to gain power and wisdom. Their eyes went inward towards themselves rather than focusing on benefiting all that God had created around them. And then what's funny is the serpent says, you will be like God. He twisted them with some words. It was a lie. They were already like God. Don't you remember that in the beginning? Let's create them to be like us. Like Adam had to have had that conversation at some point with God and they're walking in the garden like, hey, you're like me, so go do this, go do that. Like there, there had to be something, but they fell into this lie and instead of focusing on everyone else or the flourishing of all, it became all about what they would gain out of it. For instance, I, I'd like you to meet my friend Bobby, okay? Bobby, he's cute, innocent, you know. Seems like he's got good intentions, now, Bobby, he desires to go to law school, okay? Now, Bobby, he doesn't actually want to go to law school because he loves justice or he wants to help others. He actually only wants to go to law school because it's a steady, high-paying career that's going to provide a bunch of benefits to his life. He likes the fact that it comes with some prestige and status and open opportunities. So after he passes the bar, he gets into his first law firm and He's working 80 hours a week trying to climb the ladder, trying to make his way up. And he becomes so stressed out with all of his tasks and all the things around him that he becomes so internally focused that he's actually lost most of the valuable relationships around him. Now, on the surface, you wouldn't think that because Bobby's out there flexing, okay? He's standing in front of his Porsche, taking his selfie. He's got his slick hair back. But the reality is on the inside... Bobby feels lonely. He feels isolated. And he feels empty. Some of you here today, you're Bobby. And you, you feel this tension inside of you. And I'm not here trying to throw you under the bus, because I've been there. But what I do want you to know is that it doesn't always have to be that way. If your whole focus is about you making money and climbing the ladder, it's going to be hard to have worship in the midst of your work. But the good news is that you don't have to stay this way forever. The reality is, is we get to see Jesus model for us the right way to work. The right mindset. Now we have to be reminded that Jesus, although he's fully God, is fully human. And he's trying to showcase to us an example of how to live in connection with God with everything that he did. So his work was connected 
to this mindset of trying to connect people to God. So everything that we do, no matter what stage of life we're in, we can see that Jesus probably walked through it himself, okay? There were moments where Jesus experienced extreme frustration. There's an account of him flipping tables and getting frustrated with people that were making a mockery of the temple. There were so many times where he's disappointed, disappointed in his closest followers because they didn't have the faith to heal people. He worked so hard. There were so many times where he was so exhausted. He didn't even have time to eat. But despite all of that, he believed that the work he was doing was connected to a greater purpose. In one of those times where he didn't have a lot of food after a long journey, he was said this to his disciples who came and said like, oh, did you eat? And he's like, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Now his disciples were like, well, I don't know who got him lunch. But like the reality is he was saying, no, no, no. I, I only do what the father tells me to do. I'm not here for the food that's going to be on my plate or on my table. I'm here to do what God asked me to do. I'll eat. But it's more important that I was here at this well talking to this woman to announce my messiahship to everybody else that I am the king. I'm the creator of the world who has come to save everybody from their sins. So Jesus modeled with his life how to make the work assigned to him a voda. He knew everything about his work was going to help bring order to a chaotic world for anybody who was willing to follow his teachings. Now, we've understood the right perspective and the wrong perspective. You might be sitting here going, okay, this is great. But how? I mean, like, it, this seems really difficult to bring into my environment. Or maybe there's, there's a lot of, you know, toxic coworkers or scenarios or management. I don't know how I'm going to bring this in. And, and if I'm being honest and real with you, like, you're not going to be able to turn the ship overnight. Okay. Your company or your job, if it's been going this way for a long time, you can't turn around a cruise ship like a jet ski. It's going to take some time. But over the course of time, not only will you see your heart change towards your work, but you'll influence your environment and your coworkers and everybody else that you come in contact with. But I do have three practical ways that I believe if you implement in your work this week, I will all but guarantee you will feel a change in your work. The first one is we are going to commit our work to him. So whether you work in a school or in an office job, or maybe you're at a coffee shop or you're on the assembly line at Tesla, or you, you work from home before your day starts, before you clock in, punch in, I want you to take a moment and I want you to commit everything you do in your work today to him. It goes something like this. Hey God, I fully believe that you designed me to work. And so as I go into my work today, I commit everything that I do to you. The, the things that I produce with my hands, the customers I interact with, I'm doing everything I'm doing today for you. I'm working for you, Lord. And then once you've prayed that prayer, you go into the office, you 
head out to the line, you walk into the classroom, you, you choose to step into you know, the counter space or whatever it is, and then we're going to get to number two. Number two, after we've committed our workplace to him, is we're going to invite him into our space. So there's one thing to say, hey, I'm going to commit to work for you, God, but I want you here. Like, I don't want to do it on my own. I actually need you in my space. So maybe you sit down at your, your desk and you're in your cubicle amongst everybody else and you, you just say, hey, Holy Spirit, I, I welcome you. I, I want you to be in my workplace. I want your presence to be here with me. So as I'm sitting at my desk or I'm at the counter or I go to the restroom or I'm in the break room or, or everywhere I go, I ask that you would, you would bring your presence with me. And so after you have committed your work to him and you've invited him into your space, the third is now it's on us to look for those divine opportunities. What do you mean by divine opportunities? Well, if you're going to look for opportunities, maybe you just... You're talking to one of your coworkers and they say, hey, how was your weekend? And you say, oh, my weekend was good. What about yours? And they go, oh, man, it was actually really rough. Well, tell, tell me a little bit about why it was rough. Instead of going like, oh, sucks. See you later. Like, t- tell, tell me what was rough. Like, what happened? Oh, marriage is on the fringes or got a DUI. What, like, whatever it may be. Like, and they share something with you. In that moment, you go, hey, I'm, I'm so sorry to hear about that. Um, I don't know if you know much about my background, but I, I actually believe that prayer can really help. Would you be okay if I prayed for you? I mean, I can do it privately if you're uncomfortable, like, but I, I just want to commit to praying for you because that seems difficult. And you would be surprised how open people are to receive prayer in a difficult situation. But not only do you pray for them in that moment or you pray for them at your desk, but, and actually do pray, like, like at least a 30 second prayer, okay? Like don't just be like, figure it out, God. Like give them at least 30 seconds of your attention, okay? Like, but pray for them. And then three days later, follow up. Hey, I've been praying for that thing we talked about on Monday. How are you? You will instantly gain credibility and influence in their life. Maybe a less less intrusive or less active version of that is maybe maybe product failed and you're in a conference room and your whole team is freaking out. How are we going to fix this thing? What's going on? And, and you're in there and everybody's throwing out ideas and they're just terrible ideas. But I mean, you got nothing else. So, but you recognize, oh, I've already committed my work to God. I've invited him into my space today. Hey God, in your head, you don't have to say it out loud because that's kind of weird. Um, hey God, I don't know what to do here and we're all freaking out. Could you give me an idea that could solve this problem? And, and you might just in that moment have an idea. And you just go, hey, hey, what about this idea? And if it's terrible, don't worry about it. Everybody else's ideas are terrible too, okay? But if it was good, and then it solves the problem, everybody goes, where'd you think of that? Divine opportunity. I just, I was freaking out. So I just said, 
a little prayer and I said, hey God, could you help me? And then all of a sudden I thought of this idea and they might go, oh shoot, that worked, great. Or I'm like, you're crazy man, but hey, we fixed it or you should do that more often. When we commit our work to him, invite him into our space and we look for those divine opportunities. What we're saying is my work is for God. The work that has been assigned to me, the job that I'm in is my mission. And what I desire is I desire for my workplace to become my worship space. Work becomes mission and worship. Here at Echo, we believe so strongly in this idea of being an active change agent in your workplace. That at our first first Wednesday, which is coming up in two weeks on February 7th, which you all need to RSVP, it's right here at North San Jose. Um, We're actually going to commission every single person that says, I want my work to be worshiped. I want the wind of God behind me as I go into my office or my restaurant or my school. I want to do God's work through what I've been assigned. And so we're going to commission our body of people to go out and be a difference, to be the light in your workplace. Now, I want to give you an example of how I actually was able to accomplish this in my life. Many of you know my story After I left tech, my family and I moved to a tiny town in northern Minnesota, and I bought a restaurant. And when we bought that restaurant, I committed to God. I said, God, this is your restaurant. I want people that come in, I want them to experience great food, but I want them to experience you. So whether it's my customers or the people that work for me, I want you to be in the center of everything we do as a company. And so I had some aspirations and I hired a bunch of people and I started doing marketing and I believed that God was going to bless our business. And it wasn't always that way. And there was one moment I remember I I brought on a bunch of staff because I thought we were going to be really busy that day. And it's lunchtime and there are no orders coming through, like zero, zilch, nada, silence, dead crickets, you know? And I'm like, dang. Lord, like I really felt like we were going to do something great here. And if I send all these people home, like that's less money on their paycheck, which is going to affect their family and the food on their table. But if I don't send them home, that's going to affect my check and my family and the food on my table. Like, what do I do? And I just got this little prompting of like, why don't you talk to me about it? So I said, hey guys, I'll be right back. I'm gonna get some stuff done in the back. They're like, yeah, that's fine, we're fine. So I go back and I walk through the kitchen and I go into my walk-in freezer. I close the door, it's just me and all the frozen stuff. And I get down on my knees and I beg God. God, you are the center of this business. I need my staff to understand that you're the one that brings the provision. It's not by me. It's not by my marketing. I want you to get the glory for it all. Would you please fill our ticket system? Would you fill our restaurant with people? Would you move in a mighty way? And after about 10, 15 minutes of being in there, because I was frozen at that point, I walk back out and my staff is frantically running around. We had 
tons of tickets that had come through our online ordering system. There were people walking in and at line, and it was busy, busy, busy. I was like, where do you need me? They said, jump in anywhere. So I just jumped in back there. We started making food, taking orders and doing all the stuff. And I was like, thank you, God. Thank you. And then next time it was slow, I went back to the freezer. And I did this over and over and over again. So much so that one of my staff members one time said, hey, when it's really slow, where do you go? And what are you doing back there? I said, do you want the real answer? And they said, yeah. I said, I'm on my knees in the walk-in freezer praying that God would make us busy. She goes, you need to do that every day. (laughs) But it influenced my staff enough that when we started to have a little bit of a slower lunch service, they would tell me, hey, Stephen, go to the freezer and pray. I was able to bring avoda into my workplace. My question for all of you is, how are you going to bring avoda to your workplace this week? I wonder if we could end the same way we began. So if you're comfortable, would you close your eyes and hold your hands open? I want you to begin to reflect. What does it look like for you this week to commit your day and your work to Him every day? Imagine what it would look like as you enter into your space for you to call on the name of the Holy Spirit and invite Him into every part every space you have. Processing that, thinking about what does it look like to seek out divine opportunities. Imagine if all of us committed to that level of humility and integrity in our work. What would the Bay Area look like?